just knowing that a rat was loose somewhere in the kitchen. We saw the signs that we could seldom identify where he was. When we wake up in the morning, we get to flip the lights on really quickly in the kitchen, hoping to find him. That's always the question, where is he? Can he be found? Well, this morning at 6 a.m., we found it. We found a dead rat in our trap. Freedom! The rat had met its match, all right? Uh, We are free once again in the Switchin' household, uh, and no one is more happier than my wife, all right? (laughs) Oh, church, this morning, we're going to talk about freedom. And in doing so, we're going to talk about a particular joy killer, a dirty rat in our lives. It's called condemnation. It's called low-grade guilt that can affect us all as Christians. It's a joy killer, and it's a freedom buster. Enemies of the Puritans once defined Puritanism as the haunting fear that someone, somewhere, may be happy. Well, that is a very, very unfair characteristic or characterization of the Puritans. And I don't think that characterizes Palm Vista at all. I I do love this church. I believe there is joy in this church. But I also know in our battle against sin, in our desire to mortify sin, we can too be tempted to think or to feel that somehow, some way, God is not happy with me. That's what we want to talk about this morning. We are prone to fear. At times we're prone to doubt. Even when we worship, there's that gnawing feeling that we're not totally free. My theme this morning is simply this. Live in the freedom. Live in the freedom of God's favor. Live in the freedom of God's favor. With that in mind, let us pray and do just that. Lord, I commit this preaching, my preaching, and this sermon to you this morning. And Lord, I ask that you would set us free this morning to worship you without hindrance, without guilt, that we could freely, with free abandonment, worship you with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate your word this morning? would you change us? Do what we cannot do. Grant us the joy of worshiping you with freedom, knowing that we stand in your favor. Amen. Amen. This morning's message is simply, Christ is the propitiation for our sins. And the text this morning comes from Romans 3, Verses 21 through 26. You may open up your Bibles. We'll also put it on the overhead for you. I do want to use the ESV version of the overhead for this morning's reading. Let me read the Word of God to you. Romans 3, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Today we are looking at one paragraph of scripture found in the book of Romans. This paragraph, to quote commentator Douglas Moo, is possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. If we understand it correctly, I don't think you'll find that to be an exaggeration this morning. In fact, this paragraph is one long sentence in Greek, and long it is. We'll be looking at this one most important sentence, and in that sentence, the one most important word found in verse 25 is the word propitiation. It's in this word that we see the heart of the gospel. It's in this word that we see the glory of substitutionary atonement, the very series that we're preaching through these last several months. But even after you heard me read this passage, you may say, okay, that's, that's a lot there. There's, that's a hard passage. It's hard for me when I read this to get my mind around what is being said. It's one sentence picking up steam. It's rich in theological truths. In fact, you could say this is a steep uphill climb that we have this morning through this passage. But I love climbs. Anyone like hiking here? I enjoy hiking. You know why I enjoy hiking? Because of the view at the end. I love climbing mountains. This morning, we're going to climb a steep grade through this text. Oh, I want to promise you, but the view will be amazing. In fact, the view that we will see, I believe, in fact, will be freeing. To quote J.I. Packer, when you are on top of the truth of propitiation, you can see the entire Bible in perspective. And that is my prayer for us this morning. We're going to scale this mountain today. And I desire to live, to live a life of freedom in God's favor. But the truth is this, church. We were not born into God's favor, all right? We were born as sinful beings. We read in verse 23 of Romans 3, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. In fact, in our natural state, it says in Romans 2.5, that we are storing up wrath on the day of judgment because of our hard hearts and rebellion against God. It says in Romans 3.9, that none is righteous, not even one. No matter what nationality, no matter who you are, there is a universal indictment of sin upon the human race, us included. So this favor is to be granted. We are not born with it. So how do we then enter into this favor that God has promised for his children? That's what we're looking at today. And the good news comes in verse 24. It says this, And we are justified by his grace as a gift, i.e. we are saved as a gift. 
Who is this grace gift? This grace gift is Jesus given to us. He is our redemption, all right? Whom God, verse 24, verse 25, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. What's going on there? Well, God has given us that gift. He has put that gift forward in his son Jesus as a propitiation by his blood. What does that mean? We know the word blood, don't we? There's references there, right? I think it's clear that God is saying he gave us his son Jesus who was sacrificed on the cross, whose blood was shed for us. But then we come to that key word, propitiation. I have a definition in your notes that I want to read. I want you to capture this word in your mind and heart this morning. It is this word that unlocks this passage and the freedom that we so speak about this morning. Propitiation is this, from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. It is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end, i.e. to the last drop. And in doing so, catch this, changes God's wrath towards us into favor. Propitiation is a sacrifice that changes God's wrath that was upon you and me and turns it into favor for you and for me. You see, Jesus Christ is that sacrifice that has changed God's wrath into favor. That wrath that had been stored up for us from the very beginning of time. He is the one who's paid the penalty in full, has bore the wrath that we deserve on the cross. But do you believe it? Look at verse 25. This sacrifice this propitiation is to be received by faith or through faith in Christ. In other words, our faith is the means at which we receive the sacrifice and this favor upon us. In other words, Christ's wrath was laid upon Christ so God's favor can now rest upon us. Do you believe it? I'm asking two questions this morning, really. First of all, do you believe it in the sense, are you a Christian? Are you saved? Do you believe this to be true? We must start there this morning. But we can't end there at that question. We often end at that point when we go through this incredible portion of Scripture. The second question is this. Is this truth functioning in your life today? Are you experiencing God's favor? Do you really believe that God is no longer mad or angry at you? That His favor is... His blessing, His grace rests upon you this morning. We are called to live in the freedom of God's favor as believers, as Christians. In other words, we are called, point one, to live by faith. A life of freedom is to live a life of faith in this propitiation. But it's not a blind faith, friends. It's not a blind faith at all. It's a binding faith. God is not asking us, he's not asking you to put on blindfold this morning and just believe, just hope that all things will work out in the end. That's not the kind of faith that we're talking about here. It's a binding faith. It's a faith in which our eyes are gazing at Christ wide open at the cross and thus believing. Our faith and fate is bound to Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Romans 3, 20 to 25. That is Christ's substitutionary death 
on the cross has exhausted, absorbed the full wrath of God. It's as if we were enemies in the boxing ring and Christ stood up and took our place in the ring and he absorbed the furious wrath of God in our place. Friends, the match is over. God's justice has been satisfied completely at the cross. Christ drank the cup of God's wrath. He drank it all down to the last dregs. The cup of God's wrath is now empty, completely empty. God this morning wants us to see this, but he also wants us to believe it every time that we glance at the cross. Our faith is not a blind faith. Neither is our faith an irrational faith. Christ's sacrifice, his propitiation proves that God is indeed righteous, that he is holy, that he is just, and that he is loving. You see, Christ's sacrifice displays God's righteousness. I want this to be our confidence, our boldness this morning to come before him. For it says in Romans 3, verse 25, the second part of that verse, this, that's Christ's sacrifice, propitiation, was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. That is Christ's substitutionary death on the cross displayed God's righteous character, that he is holy. We spoke of this many times, even in our last series, that God is holy. By his very character, God is opposed to sin. Not only that, as we know, right, God is also just. He is just. He is rightly opposed to sin, which challenges his moral authority to rule the universe. You see, his wrath is justice. His wrath is justice in action. If God were not just, he would not have demanded his son to suffer and die for us. But if Christ was not also loving, God would not have been willing to have his son suffer and die for us. So yes, he is holy. Yes, he is just. He is also loving. He is merciful and kind to us. John 1, chapter 4, verse 10, sums it up like this. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. There's that word again. For our sins. We can believe. We can have confidence that God did not sweep the crimes of humanity under some universal rug. Okay? Be gone. No, but he has dealt with our sins according to his righteous character. We now know that no sin has or will be passed over or be undealt with. We can be confident that God did not stuff the dirty clothes into one of our drawers, only to be brought out at a future date to indict us. All right? Our filthy garbs, our sin, and that which we wear in our rebellious nature 
our sin, those clothes, those garments have been burned and we've been clothed with a new righteousness that comes from Christ. So do you believe? Here are some questions this morning to discern if you believe that Christ truly is the propitiation for your sins. Number one, do you often live with a low-grade guilt thinking that some way, somewhere, God may still be mad at you and there's something you must do to solicit his favor. Or in the words of C.J. Mahaney, do you relate to God as if you were on a kind of permanent probation, suspecting any moment that he may haul you back into the jail cell of his disfavor? When you come to worship, perhaps even this morning, do you maintain a respectful distance from God as if he were a fascinating but ill-tempered celebrity known for lashing out at his fans or known to behold a biting grudge? Do you live with a sense that God is continually disappointed with you or perhaps just tired, just fed up with you, your sin, or your lack of growth? Do you live much of your life trying to appease God? You would know theologically that you cannot earn your salvation. But you live life hoping somehow to pacify this perceived but yet vague anger of this God who is out there. That you feel when you know you've sinned or suspect that you have. Do you act like Jacob? when he was about to be reunited with his brother Esau, his brother from whom he had purchased his birthright and had stolen his blessing. We read in Judges 32. I want to read this for you this morning. When Jacob was about to approach Esau, he had not seen him in many, many years. He was a worried camper. What would my brother do? How will he respond? Listen to Jacob's response as he neared, as he approached Jacob's camp. I'll just read it to you, Genesis 32, starting with verse 13. And Jacob, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. I'm getting exhausted just reading it that these he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. Let's send them one at a time, gift after gift, that would go ahead of me to greet my older brother Esau, that he might have favor with me, okay? He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, in whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, ah, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. That I may appease him 
The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word that's used for appease is the same Greek word in our text this morning. It's to propitiate. Maybe if I send enough cattle, enough gifts to my brother ahead of time, that he will be propitiated and his wrath will be turned from me. Is that he lived towards God? It's one round after the other. It's one gift after the other, hoping that somehow God will be satisfied in your service. You do that in a variety of ways. You may even do that, thinking, I'm coming to Sunday morning worship, Lord. Are you pleased? You may even serve on a ministry team. You may be faithful to read your Bible every morning or to come to our prayer time on a Friday morning. Those are all great things. You may say, I serve in home group, Lord, but it's just one round after the other in an attempt. You wouldn't say it this way, but in your heart, that's your motive. I, I want to appease God. I-, I want his favor. See, instead of doing things for the love of God, you begin to do things in fear of God. And there was a difference. And God knows. Friends, we cannot come to him in fear. We cannot come as if we in our ability can somehow appease God like Jacob appeased Esau. But you say, you know, I know my sordid past and I'm well acquainted with my sin, you may say. I'm well acquainted with my anger or my lust. And you just wonder. You say, I, I want to believe. I just wonder, is God still punishing me for my sin? There's just that gnawing, once again, to use the word, in your stomach or in the back of your mind. And the verdict is not out in your mind. You think, Lord, even as I could think, even this week, with <laughs> back to the rat, you know, Lord, what did I do to deserve this? I mean, don't rats, like, didn't they start the bubonic plague? At least they carried the plague throughout Europe. Well, do I deserve this? Is it, well, what's, hap- what's happening here? Is this some kind of punishment? They just think wrong? Lord, my car broke down again. You know I can't afford The washing machine is broken again. And you think, is God angry at me? Is, is he mad at me? Well, let me tell you, that's not God's punishment. Punishment is what happened to Christ on the cross. That is not God's wrath. Wrath is what happened to Christ on the cross. Let us not trivialize God's wrath or slander him. Yes, God may be disciplining you, but he does it in love, not in anger. It's not a punishment for your sins. But how quickly we can go there, can't we, when things start going wrong? And fallaciously think, somehow, that God's wrath still rests on me. And this is evidence right here in my life. This trial, this difficulty. I suspect many of you here, like me, can relate to that this morning. Then maybe another of you in another group this morning. You say, no, I'm not really trying to appease God. I'm cool with that. This is what you are doing. You're just hoping or kind of trusting that God will overlook your sins rather than trusting that your sins have been fully dealt with on the cross. If this is you, you don't understand God's righteousness. God is just. Oh, he passed over the former sins, those prior to his coming in the Old Testament and covenant. Oh, but he did not let them go unpunished. It all came to a head at Calvary. But you hope somehow, that you just kind of cover up 
your warts and your sin. Rather than bringing your sin into the light of confession, you choose to hide your sin, hoping that others don't see it, even in your own, perhaps, network of accountability and friendships. Somehow thinking you're concealing your sin from God's judgment. All the while, you still live in this bondage of fear and uncertainty of what God thinks, that somehow you might be discovered by God. You know what you're like? You're like Achan. Remember Achan? I'll draw you back the book of Joshua. When the Israelites went into the promised land, they conquered the city of Jericho. Cool story, right? And God said to the Israelites, I want you to destroy every devoted thing in the city of Jericho. But there was one man, Achan, said, hey, a little spoil, would it hurt anyone? So he took some of the gold and some of the silver, and what did he do? He hid it under his tent, thinking that no one will ever know. God will not discover me. Well, if we read the story, read the story. Yes, God did discover him. And he paid the price. And so did the Israelites who lost their life in the battle of Ai. What are you hiding under your tent this morning? God knows. And you have been, have been discovered. All your sins and all your warts. Oh, but hear this as well. God in his mercy has sent his son and we are justified by his grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation to be received by faith. God, through Christ, has turned God's wrath towards us into favor. Do you see it? Are we getting there yet? We're climbing the hill, okay? It's hard work. We want to be anchored in our theology because this fuels our faith. We need to know this. Are you starting to see with eyes of faith? We're almost there in the steep climb. Let's now try to make it to the summit, okay? The view gets even better. Just wait. We're to live by faith, point one. Point two, we're to live in the freedom of God's favor. God's propitiation makes him propitious. I had that definition for you as well. I actually stole it from the Webster's Dictionary, 1828. Great, handy resource. God putting forth his son as a propitiation thus makes God propitious, propitious towards us. Tough word. What does that mean? It means this, that God is disposed to be gracious or merciful, ready to forgive sins and bestow blessings applied to God. God is ready. God is disposed. When he changed your wrath into favor, we can now expect that we, as those who have received by faith this sacrifice, can expect to receive God's blessing in favor. That is how God looks at us. God's favor rests upon those who are in Christ Jesus. As those who are justified, we are now in right standing with God. In other words, we now receive the righteousness of God through Christ. That means we can have peace with God this morning. See, much of the book of Romans, this book right here, Paul, the author, spends in unpacking the gospel truths from this passage of what is true of us because this is true, that we can now experience peace. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, the therefore is a frame back to what we just read, okay? In the proof in chapter 4. 
says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Love this quote in your notes from J.I. Packer. He says this, the peace of God is first and foremost peace with God. It is a state of affairs in which God, instead of being against us, is for us. Instead of being against us, he is for us. I just sense this morning, some of you need to hear that. God is for you in Christ. God is for you in Christ. God is for you in Christ. He is for us. God is saying, I am for you. I'm not saying it. He's saying it in his word this morning. Verse 25 of chapter 3. He is saying, I am for you. But you say, yeah, well, Corey, I, I, I know and believe I'm forgiven. But, but don't stop there. You are accepted by Christ right now. If you're in Christ, God's favor rests upon you. Even when you looked at that internet site this week, you know, that site that you'd be ashamed to tell anyone about, even then, even now, Christ is for you. You may even feel ashamed this morning, even a hypocrite. If you're a Christian, you've placed your trust in Christ's atoning work. God is for you. Even when you uttered that harsh word this week or even this morning perhaps to your spouse or to your child, God is still for you. That lie that you told your boss, which is a white lie, so I deceived him a little bit. I wasn't completely honest. God's for you. That purchase you just made, you know that budget buster, that compulsive buy, yeah, you know you shouldn't have bought it. You know what? God is still for you. Perhaps you ate too much this week. Perhaps you drank too much. Perhaps you watched a movie in your heart of hearts you know you should have never have watched. Even right then, even now, in Christ, God is for you. We've been set free in Christ. We've been set free, catch this, even to sin. We in Christ Jesus, are free to sin. Catch that? We're free to sin. Yes, you're free not to sin as well. We talk a lot about that, don't we, here at Palm Vista. You're no longer in captivity to sin. Verse 24, Romans 3, said you've been redeemed, okay? I mean, you've been free from the captivity of sin. You are free not to sin. Oh, that is true. That is great news. But you are also free to sin. If the gospel is the gospel, you are free to sin right now. Probably making you a little nervous, aren't I? <laughs> I'm a little nervous here, you know? Like, wait, hey, wait, wait. Did the theology here at Palm Vista suddenly change? I never heard this before. Whoa, wait a second here. Ow, come back. Oh, that might be good, actually. But he's in Sarasota, and I'm here. All right? Now I'm telling you, you're free to sin this morning. All right? Oh, it's true. We reap. What we sow. That's true. Oh, it's true. God disciplines you. But he disciplines those he loves. Not in anger. It's not wrathful punishment. Oh, it's true. We are to confess our sins and repent to turn from our sins. All that is true. But all that being true does not negate 
the fact that if we're truly in Christ, that we are free to sin. We are free. Radio show host Steve Brown shares the story of his short-lived policy of giving away free sins on his radio program. When someone called for the first time, they got three free sins. Hey, but if you called from the cell phone, you got six free sins. Well, Steve Brown stirred up a hornet's nest. Never before had he received more contentious and irate phone calls. You can't give away free sins. That's impossible. You know what? They're right. Steve Brown can't give away free sins. Corey Smidgen can't give away free sins. But God can, and he has. Here's the point. As a Christian, I'm righteous because God has given me his righteousness, his favor. And in that sense, all sins are free. I I didn't pay for my sins. Christ paid for them on the cross. That's propitiation. But you say, wait, wait, wait. That's cheap grace. That's cheap grace. You know what? You're right. It is cheap grace. You know what? If it wasn't cheap, you couldn't afford it. That's simple. You couldn't afford it. If it wasn't free, you couldn't afford it. It's not like cheap grace. It's free grace. Yes, I understand. It cost Christ his life. And I don't want to belittle that. We have talked much about that. So I'm standing upon a series of sermons here, okay, this morning. I would not want to trivialize what God done, God did in the cost of his son who suffered in our place. But from our vantage point, yes, they are free because you and I did not and could not and cannot pay for her own sins. But that also leads to another host of questions, doesn't it? Okay, I think I follow you there, Corey. But if it's truly free, won't we abuse this gift, this grace gift, and sin all the more? Well, the good thing is, the Apostle Paul, in his very book, anticipated that question. And he said an emphatic, no! In fact, he answers the question starting in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. Let me read the first verse of Romans 6. He's answering the same question. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Here's his answer, verse 2. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You see, if you were sinning without any guilt this morning, if you were passionate and headlong in your pursuit of sin this morning, there's no remorse, there's no guilt. You were not dead in your sin. In other words, you're not a Christian. In fact, Romans says the wrath of God is still upon you, not his favor. If you are sinning in such a way, But if you are fighting sin this morning, even if you feel like you are unsuccessful, but you are fighting it, you know it's wrong, you have received conviction by the Holy Spirit, and you are attempting to change by His grace, you're a Christian. God's freedom and favor can be upon you. He is on your side. You are forgiven and you are free. Listen to these sweet words from 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, 
I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If anyone does sin, it's in Christ. You have a propitiation. He is Jesus Christ, who was offered in our stead. Are you feeling free yet? I'm feeling a little freer this morning. Have you reached the summit of propitiation? We're free to sin. And the second point, we are free to live and to grow in this grace. If you never change from here on out, God is still for you in Christ. Perhaps there are persistent sins that you are battling with. And I hope there are, that you're actually in the fight and battle this morning, battling these sins. Or perhaps you have seen little growth in your life up to this point, at least in this one area. And you would admit it by your own recognition. Can I just say to you this morning, once again, that God is not angry at you He is not put off with you. God is not even disappointed with you. Why? Because his favor, his blessing, his grace rests upon you because of his son. I have been dealing and fighting with the fear of man for years, church. At times, it silences my mouth at times when I should be speaking. I feel that. I'm also a selfish person. And this is how it manifests itself. I'm selfish when it comes to listening, particularly listening at times to my wife. That was a major action point for me at the latest marriage seminar. I find I'm also selfish when it comes to taking time to listen and draw out my own children. I sometimes feel like I am making little progress in these areas. For me, I don't think I'm tempted to think that God is necessarily angry at me, but at times I do wonder, is he just tired of me? Just kind of put off by my lack of growth, just the slow change. And at times it creeps in there. You know, maybe just, am I letting God down? Do you hear the pride there, though? Oh, yeah, it's it's work. It's operating in my life when I say that. Oh, there can be a low-grade guilt. It's like that kind of a dull headache especially when it comes to the topic of evangelism. I'm not doing enough. Oh, we sang about it this morning, but in my heart, like, Lord, I, I, I don't feel like I'm growing this area a whole lot. How about your prayer life? Just, I mean, these are two areas of the Christian life that we can often feel condemnation for, can't we? Evangelism and prayer. Just, just know, I'm just, just not praying. I should be praying more. I, I know, I have been instructed to know. I, I know that prayer is important. I feel like I'm just not growing there. But friends, to wallow in condemnation, to wallow in guilt or depression does not please God. It's pride. It's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. If what we're preaching this morning is true, it is a lie that we must combat. My hope, may your hope this morning be in Romans 3, verse 25. If we truly grasp these precious truths, oh, I believe we will in fact grow in those very areas that we are battling. To quote one author, 
The only ones who will ever get any better are those who know God won't be angry if they don't get better. Read that again. The only ones who will ever get better are those who know God won't be angry if they don't get better. You see the freedom there? Oh, may God impress this freeing truth upon our hearts this week in our battle against sin. For our battle against sin, you see, is a battle for grace. See where we're going? Our battle for sin is indeed a battle for this grace as seen in this passage. And it's found, found on the Mount of Propitiation. Instead of being obsessed with our sin, let us go and be obsessed with God's grace, with God's favor.